Well, good morning, church. Great to see you guys. Good morning, guests. We're glad that you're with us today. And those of you watching online right now, we're so grateful that you are with us as well. So we are in a teaching series called Anxiety and the Peace of God. And I want to thank Chris Matetic for just his courage and vulnerability to share a glimpse of his journey and how Jesus has given him peace with his battle with anxiety. And Chris attends CVC. He serves on worship arts. He's a drummer. And he also works with our graphic arts. And so uh, this series, as well as many other series, have his fingerprints all over them. And, and uh, he, he was able to courageously, vulnerably share something that a lot of us have struggled with, anxiety. Now, maybe you have struggled on the same level and with the same severity as Chris has, or maybe it's, it's a little less severe. But one way or the other, we all have or will experience degrees of anxiety in our lives. And this is a huge issue in our culture today. And as a church, we just want to hit it head on. We just want to take several weeks and, and, and focus on anxiety and how we can have the peace of God in the midst of those anxious thoughts and feelings. And as a review for those of you who uh, were here last week, and really to on-ramp those of you who weren't here last week when we kicked off the series, I just want to remind you a little bit about our approach uh, to these weeks as we talk about anxiety and the peace of God. Uh, let's first talk about what the series is not. Uh, this is not a defense or attack on uh, psychiatric drugs and those you know, medications that are utilized for mental health issues. Uh, this is not a series of lectures on how to cope with anxiety and depression. And this is not a series on the relationship to the brain and the spirit and all those things. Uh, there are definitely deeper dives that you can take on this topic of anxiety. But what we're trying to do is focus on these aspects. This is what the series is. It's a study of God's character and qualities. And how his capacity, not our ability, but his capacity can help us with our anxiousness. Also, it's a series on pastoral guidance, on how we can navigate psychological consequences that come with the existence of sin and the effects of the fall. Also, this is to help us develop a biblical worldview regarding God's character and human brokenness and the Holy Spirit's power and how all those play a part when it comes to anxiety. And also, it's an attempt at us all taking the next steps and submitting uh, our lives to God's care, basically to grow in our trust of God. And really, the big idea I want you guys to grab a hold of today is this, that when our trust in God increases, our anxiety decreases. When our trust in God increases, our anxiety decreases. Now, a few extra elements to this series that I want to make sure you're also aware of and we invite you to participate with is that over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to have small video clips uh, related to anxiety and anxiety-related issues that will be on our Facebook and social media. So you might find some great stuff there as we continue to unpack this outside of just the Sunday morning context. Also, uh, we're going to be doing a panel on Sunday night at 6.30 on November 24th. So we're going to have a chance to really interact over this topic at a deeper issue, do a little bit more of a deep dive there. And so we have several people on that panel. We've got our founding pastor, Rick Duncan, who will be there, uh, CVC's care pastor and counselor, uh, Dean Siley. We have a medical doctor, Mindy Strausser, and we have Christian therapist, Dr. Walt Broadbent. It's kind of awkward. He's sitting right here. This handsome guy right here um, is going to be on that panel as well. And, and Dr. Broadbent's also going to be doing a three-week follow-up study in December on this issue. So there's some other ways we can engage. And we believe that through these efforts and through this teaching series, it will help many of us exchange 
exchange the depth and the level of anxiety we have for more of a peace of God. And today I want to focus on a common area that tends to provoke feelings of anxiety in us. And it's the fear of not having our daily needs met. It's the anxiety that wells up in us when we look at the days, weeks, months ahead and we start to forecast, right? We go, am I going to have enough to make ends meet? Um, What about food on the table and clothes and all those kind of essential needs? And and honestly, of of all the different ways anxiety can, uh, you know, um, work its way into my life, this is probably the one that will do it. Is that as a, as a husband, as a dad, as a Christian leader, uh, I'll sit down and I'll look at resources and financial demands and I'll start to plan and strategize and forecast and you rework the plans. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to start to lean a lot more heavily on what I think I need to do rather than how God's going to show up. And so I've learned in my life that, that I need to make sure that I'm increasing my trust in God. Because when I'm increasing my trust in God, then my anxiety will decrease. But when I'm really uh, looking at those things and feeling like I have to take care of it all on my own, then my anxiety, de- my anxiety increases, which means my trust in God is decreasing. And so this is the t- push and pull that we feel on this topic. Now, there are a lot of voices out there on the topic of anxiety, but today we're going to uh, rally around the voice. We're going we're to listen to some words that Jesus Christ God's son, God in the flesh, said on the topic of anxiety. He addressed anxiety multiple times when you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 34. And we're going to really look a little more carefully how Jesus addresses the specific nature of anxiety that wells up in us when we start to worry about our needs being met. And so uh, open up your Bibles or Bible apps to Matthew 6, 25. Uh, it's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, we have free Bibles for you at the Info Center on your way out. Feel free to grab one. But join me in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Here's what we see Jesus say. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his life span? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we've come here today, whether uh, through online or right through the doors, and we've come with needs. And we absolutely confess that there are times in our lives, even right now probably for many, uh, that anxiety grips us. Fear, worry, stress, concern. And Lord, you know we have these feelings. Um, You don't condemn us for having those feelings, but you invite us into your peace. You invite us into resting and trusting in you. So I pray for myself and for everyone here, no matter where we're at spiritually, Lord, that today will be a day where uh, we grow, 
We grow in our trust. We grow in our relationship. We grow in our experience of your peace. So help guide our minds and hearts as we interact with your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In these verses, Jesus is reminding us that God absolutely knows you. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And he knows what your needs are. And he is not only capable, but he is willing to meet those needs. And when our anxiety increases, we forget that. And we forget to trust God. But when we just trust God and our trust increases, then that, that anxiety is kept at bay and it starts to decrease. And clearly Jesus doesn't want us to experience anxiety. When you look at this passage we just read, six times the word anxious is used. And three of those six, Jesus said, do not be anxious. So if it was only that simple, right? Jesus said, don't be anxious. And we go, awesome, done. Game on, let's go. But he knows we need more. He knows he needs to unpack that. He needs to tease that out so, so that we can understand a little bit more about how to experience this lack of anxiety. So, so let's first look at the word anxious because, you know, th- there's a lot of different meanings, a lot of different interpretations or, or ways we can experience anxiousness. And the word anxious in this text, in the original Greek, is the word merimanao, which means to be troubled with cares. Like we're just troubled. We're, we're so fixated on a certain subject or subjects that it's, it's burdensome to us. So we're troubled with these cares, these cares and they're becoming burdensome in our life. Now I want to overlay that understanding, that, that trouble with cares, with really an understanding of four different ways we can experience anxiety. And, and I'm going to ask you at the end, which one of these ways do you think Jesus is referring to? All right? So, so the first kind of anxiety that we experience is really a natural God-given response to a real or perceived threat. It's, it's when something's happening in our life that's a threat to us, or, or we think it could be a threat to us, and then there's this God-given reaction for, you know, survival. So if you're driving, and all of a sudden a car that's coming your way gets in your lane, you're going to feel anxious about that, right? And what's happening in that moment is that anxiety is triggering a reaction in you that I need to get out of the way because I'm being threatened right now. Or if you encounter a wild animal, right? Because we experience that every day, right? Okay? Walking through the Metro Park, woo! No, okay. But... Um, <laughs> But in that situation, that, that first kind of anxiety, number one, is this kind of God-given triggered response for survival. Number two is more of a clinical anxiety, all right, a clinical anxiety. And so this is a psychological, physiological condition where anxiety is disordered and it's debilitating. And the symptoms are just severe in your life. And so at that point, you've got to get help. You've got to get a counselor. You've got to get a doctor, someone to come alongside and help assist you because of this disordered, debilitating type of anxiety. So that's number two. First one is a triggered response uh, for survival. Two is a clinical type of anxiety. Three is anxiety brought on by the consequences of sinful behavior. It's self-inflicted anxiety. Like, look, if you cheat on your spouse and then you build a house of lies to try to defend yourself, on, you're always going to live in anxiety. Because you think you're going to be found out. If, if you're gambling away the money uh, that you're making and you're not providing for your needs, you're going to develop anxiety in your life over that. If you've got drug use and, and substance abuse and uh, you know, all those kinds of things, there's going to be anxiety that comes when we walk outside of God's design for our life. And so this is kind of a self-inflicted anxiety that's dependent on the poor choices we make. So that's number three. And number four is anxiety that's brought on due to a lack of trust of God's care. So out of those one, two, three, four anxieties, which one do you think Jesus is hitting on here? Number one, number two, number three, number four? Four. Some of you are like, I don't want to say. (laughs) It's four. It's the, the anxiety that's brought on due to a lack of trust in God's care. And so that's what Jesus is addressing here. And he's saying, don't be anxious 
about your life. And when he's saying life here, he's talking about that which supports your life, that which sustains your life, food, water, clothing. Don't be anxious about God's provisions of life's essential. And if you really think about it, uh, our lives are a gift from God. I know there are days that we might wake up and go, today does not feel like a gift from God, all right? That might happen. But our lives are a gift from God. This, this, this life is a phenomenal gift. If God is capable and willing to give us this amazing, massive gift of life, how much more is he going to be faithful to supply that which sustains it? And so we can rest and trust and have peace that God's going to be faithful to provide for our essentials. And we see here Jesus is saying life is more than food. Life is more than drink. Life is more than the clothes we wear. Like we know we need food and water and you know, clothes and shelter, all those kinds of things for survival. But Jesus is reminding us life's a lot more than just what you eat, what you drink, and what you wear. You are worth more than what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. And Jesus is calling us back to this. So I believe the tone of Jesus here to the crowd he's talking to is, is caring. I think it's concern. I think he's got concern because obviously he's addressing a need that, that needs to be addressed. And it's also corrective. He's trying to fix something that's broken in us. And so he's poking at our doubt. He's poking at our tendency for self-sufficiency. And he's wanting to stir up a greater trust in the Lord. Why would Jesus want to stir up a greater trust in the Lord? Because if our trust in the Lord increases, our anxiety what? Decreases. That's what we see Jesus doing. So he says, don't be anxious. And then he gives us three directives, I think, that will help us live out what he's asking of us. And so I want to focus on three directives that Jesus gives us in these verses that help us trust God more. The first directive is to look. Everyone say, look. Verse 26, he says to this crowd, he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus said, I want you to look. Look around. Look at the birds. And let's learn a lesson from the birds. And the lesson he's trying to teach here is that looking reminds us that God highly values us. This is the contrast that Jesus is about to make as he unfolds. Now, before we unpack that, I just think it's uh, uh, beneficial for us to kind of get where Jesus is right now and understand this moment. So, so Jesus is preaching something called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's with a crowd of thousands of people, and he's somewhere on what's called the Mount of Beatitudes. This is a picture of that traditional site, somewhere within visual range of this area. Jesus is teaching to the crowds of thousands. What I want you to do is put yourself there. Just imagine yourself there. You're among the thousands of people. And Jesus is teaching, and, and his teaching just cuts to your heart. It's just compelling. It's like, it's like he's reading your thoughts and he's countering the things that need to be changed and he's affirming the things that need to be there and, he, and, and you're, just, you're just absolutely captivated by every word that Jesus is saying. And as you're sitting there, you, you, you see these birds flying around and you hear them flying around. That's what happened. We were there a couple weeks ago with our last study tour and as we were on the Mount of Beatitudes teaching through this text, guess what was flying around us? Birds were flying around. We heard them, and they were doing that. I tell you what, I didn't see one bird stressing out. I didn't. I didn't see one bird reaching for pills. I didn't see one bird, like, you know, looking for another bird to counsel them. Like, I just, th these birds were just flying around doing their thing. They were enjoying the air currents. They were looking for worms. They were just doing their thing. And so you're there on that mountain, and Jesus says, look. Look at the birds. 
Look at them. They don't work. Like, they don't, like, wake up and have to clock in. They don't toil. They don't stress. They're not building barns to stockpile food. They get up and they go and do their thing. And here's what's amazing about birds. Birds have a particular kind of relationship, like the rest of creation, with God. They have a creation-creator relationship. God created the birds. He cares about them. He, he made them amazing. But, but they're just creations, and he's the creator. We don't just have a creator-creation relationship with God. We have a father-child relationship, like the perfect relationship between a parent and child. And so he's our father. That's why you see Jesus here say, your father, your father, your father. And so the birds don't have that context. And so Jesus is saying, look, if God's going to provide for the daily needs of the creation, how much more is he going to provide for his beloved children? So much more. That's why Jesus said, don't you know that you are more valuable than they are? So the birds don't sweat it. Look at, look at this bird here. This is a kingfisher. This is a Galilean kingfisher. Um, he's pretty happy, man. He just scored some sushi. <clears throat> and I don't think he woke up sweating that. He just got up and did his thing, and God provided. So, so, so Jesus obviously is not making an argument against work and against responsibility and against, you know, good stewardship, all those kinds of things, because the birds didn't just wake up and open their beaks and God just rained worms from the sky, right? That didn't happen. They still go out and they fly and they look and they find because God's providing. See what Jesus is doing here? Just look at the birds. Look at these amazing, magnificent creations. And God provides for them and they don't have to work too hard for it. He knows you, he loves you, he values you. How much more is he going to provide for you than for the birds? And so if you've ever woken up and said, I wonder if God loves me more than a bird, the answer is yes. And you can rest and trust in that. And we don't need to be anxious. That's why Jesus goes on and says in verse 27, why, um, which of you can be anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? You see, the anxiety isn't beneficial. In fact, we know now, anxiety doesn't make your life longer. It makes your life shorter. It takes life. It doesn't give life. And so Jesus is saying, your anxiety is not going to benefit you. Rest. Let your trust in the Lord increase, and your anxiety will decrease. So the first uh, thing here we see is to look. Now, as I was looking at this passage and thinking about this, a a picture, a a moment in our life came um, to my mind I think captures it so well. A lot of you know I have three amazing kids. love them all with all my heart. Um, Our youngest is named Faith, and we adopted her from China when she was two. And so it's a National Adoption Awareness Month, so happy National Adoption Awareness Month. And um, as you know, she was in the orphanage for a couple years then, and we don't know what that life looked like, but we know what typically is experienced in orphanages, where sometimes uh, it might be hard to get the food you want, or kids are trying to take it, or whatever. And so when when Faith came into our life, we we, we flew to China, and we were there for a couple weeks. And when she was put into our arms, we got to basically spend time with her, about a week and a half with her in China before just throwing her on a plane and and coming back to the States, right? Because that would be traumatic and shocking if it was immediate. And so um, the first day that we had her, we noticed right away what she'd like to do is she'd like to carry around a biscuit in each hand. She had these little Chinese biscuits. And so she had one that she would eat, and the other was just unwrapped. She just left it like the backup biscuit. You know what I'm saying? She's there. That was comforting to her. She knew that was there. Well, when we got to the hotel room, 
since we were going to be there for like a week and a half, what we had done is we had brought some food that she thought she would encounter when she's back in the States with us. And then we also went shopping in China, got some of the food that she might be familiar with. And we filled up one of the drawers in the dresser with food. It was like a little mini pantry, okay? And so this was such a beautiful moment for her. Uh, we got in the room and we were just, you know, getting acquainted and, and, and just like letting her play with new toys and just loving on her. And then we brought her over to the drawer. Double Biscuit Girl came over to the drawer, okay? And we opened the drawer and showed her the snacks. And then, and then we shut the drawer. And then she walked right back up to the drawer and she opened it again. And she looked. And then she shut it. And then she opened it a second time. And looked at it. And then she shut it. And then she opened it a third time and she looked at it and she goes, <sighs> But doesn't that sound say a lot? What was happening in that moment? Something clicked for her. Like, there's abundance. I'm not fighting with it over anybody. I'm good. And there was peace and there was rest and there was assurance that she was going to be taken care of. That's a picture of what we should look like when it comes to God's provision in our life. That when we look around at God's faithfulness and creation, we just go, ah, we can rest, we can trust. God will provide our needs. The second directive he gives us on top of look is consider. Everyone say, consider. Verse 28, he says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon and all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. To consider means to think about, to learn, to, to, to learn well by observation. And so now you're not just looking and making an observation about how valuable you are compared to birds. Now you're looking at another piece of creation and Jesus is saying, consider, think about this, learn by observing. And so put yourself back on that mountainside. You're on the mountainside, thousands of people, and he says, consider the lilies. Well, you know lilies had to be within eye, you know, sight, because it's not just appealing to their imaginations. And uh, the flowers we believe, the lilies we believe he might have been referring to, were these anemones. They're called anemones, and they're very uh, common and populous in the region of Galilee. And they would just, they could just absolutely carpet and just blanket a hillside. Just absolutely blanket a field. They usually come in shades of red and white and blue. And so you can just imagine Jesus saying, look at the birds. Now, consider the lilies around us. Like a lily doesn't wake up and go, okay, I've got to go and I've got to like harvest cotton and I've got to somehow like make yarn and cut patterns and form something. Like they don't do that. This grass just grows. It's just grass, right? And God doesn't have to decorate it at all. It could just be grass. But it grows, and then God decorates it. And he makes these lilies. And Jesus said, look at the lilies. Look, look at them. And, and um, he says, I tell you, even Solomon and all his glory. He's, now, now he's pointing back to the, the, the wisest and richest man that's ever lived to this day still. He's saying, even King Solomon, when he went to his little royal wardrobe, and picked out his favorite little outfit for the day. And donned probably some extremely lavish and opulent outfit and walked through his kingdom, even in that moment, contrasting what God does with flowers to King Solomon, no contest. No contest. And it's one thing to look at these flowers from afar, and some of you have seen fields with lots of blooms. It's gorgeous. But have you ever gotten really close at these flowers and looked at the detail? Like, like God made that. He didn't have to do that. Like, Solomon can't compete with that. Look, you and I, on our best day, dressed up the best we can, can't compete. No contest. 
So Jesus is saying, consider this. Like, think about this. Look at the lilies. And so this image must have been startling. And he says this in verse 30. He says, If God so clothes the grass of the field, like that, right, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little what? Faith. Lacking trust. He says, why are you, why are you worried about it? Because you're lacking trust. Because if you lack trust, <laughs> then your anxiety will increase. And here's the nature of this grass, these lilies. They, they grow, they bloom, they die. And this reference to the oven is that then people will come and they'll gather the dry lilies, the dry grass, and they take it home and they put it in their ovens to light their fires. This grass becomes fuel to cook bread, to cook fish, to warm our bodies. And Jesus is saying, if, if something that's temporary and fleeting that's going to become fuel, God's going to take the time to clothe? Then what about you? Because you are forever. You're forever. You will spend eternity forever alive, either in the presence of God in heaven because you received a son, Jesus, as provision for your sin, or forever in hell, apart from God and His glory, because you rejected His Son. But we're forever. And so for those who are children of God in Christ, He goes, look what I did for the grass. It's temporary. I'm going to clothe you. You're going to be okay. I'm going to provide for your needs. The problem is, we get confused between needs and wants, right? God says, I got your needs covered. But what we hear is, but I want my wants covered. Like, we're wardrobe people. I mean, how many pairs of shoes do we really need, right? How many, how many, I mean, if you were to count all the pieces of clothing in your drawers and your closets, like, we have an abundance. And, and we seek after these things for meaning, for worth, for comfort, for value, for whatever it is. And there's nothing wrong with having clothes and dressing up, but, but to seek after those? And Jesus is just saying, you just need to stop and rest and trust me. Remember, his original audience, they wore tunics. Like, they had one, two, or three tunics, and that was it. Pretty simple, okay? And, and he's basically saying, you don't need to worry about being clothed. I will take care of you. And so we don't want to lack trust in God's provision. He says, look, look at the birds. They'll remind you how valuable you are. God loves you more than a bird. He's going to provide for you. Consider the lilies. And something temporary that's so beautiful. God, if God's going to clothe them, he's going to clothe you. You don't need to worry. And then he says, seek. Everyone say, seek. So he says, look, consider, now seek. Look at verse 31. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, this is a reference to people who didn't know God, didn't love God. So Gentiles, pagans, unbelievers. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. So, so those who don't know God, like I just said, when we're in that state, we, we seek after worldly possessions, temporary you know, provisions for comfort, for wealth, for meaning. We seek after that. But Jesus is saying, your, your Heavenly Father knows. He said right here, your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need to eat. He knows what you need to drink. He knows what you need to survive. The problem is we're discontent with just enough to survive. We want to maintain the abundance. And then we get mad at God when the abundance isn't there. He's saying, I've got your needs covered. And then he says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's saying, don't seek after these things. Seek after God's kingdom. 
which by the way is pretty convicting, which basically means when we're not trusting God, we're acting like people who don't know God. We don't trust God, we're acting like people who don't know him. When we're seeking the things of the world, it means that we're not really in relationship with the one who owns the world and heaven and the universe and everything else. And so he's calling us back to this seeking of God's kingdom. Seeking God in his kingdom is a call to prioritize the spiritual over the material. It's focusing on God and his kingdom. Instead of um, the provision, we, we focus on the provider. Seeking God first means to submit to God's rule and reign over our lives and to be dependent on him and to trust him and to have, it says in his righteousness, and have his character demonstrated through us as we've come to Christ. So we seek God's kingdom, what's important to the Lord, what's according to his will, and his righteousness, the righteousness that's ours when we're in Christ. The character, the ethics, the the values that become ours because we're citizens of this kingdom. And so seeking first the kingdom of God means that we're both anticipating the future kingdom because Jesus is coming as he promised, as well as living out our citizenship of that kingdom now by how we act, by how we value, by how we trust the one who provides all things. And so this seeking the kingdom of God, this seeking his righteousness flows from a transformed heart. It flows from a heart that's been changed so that we're no longer consumed with the pursuit of earthly provisions. And then it empowers us to seek heavenly provisions instead. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We just keep getting this contrast from God. Colossians 3, 2, God says, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness. Now maybe you're struggling going, how do I know what I'm seeking first then? Maybe the way you answer these two questions will help you. When you wake up in the morning, what are the first things you typically think about? What is it that you just have this burning desire that you have to go do, that you have to chase after, that you have to pursue? That probably is what you're seeking first in your life. And what are the thoughts that consume you as you're drifting off to sleep, and as you start to sleep and you're thinking about the next day, where does your mind go? It's probably those pursuits that you're seeking first because they're inside and they're coming out first when you wake up and at night when you go to sleep. And for some of us, waking us up in the middle of the night, right? That's what we're seeking first. And so Jesus is calling us back. Seek first God's kingdom, his righteousness, all these other things, the essentials of life, God's got it covered. You don't need to stress about it because anxiety is going to hurt you, not help you. And that's really what he gets at in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Some of you are sitting here right now stressing about what's going to happen Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. Can I just help us there? We're not even out of Sunday yet. We still got the rest of today. It's very likely that some sort of challenge will pop up today. And maybe it's a one or two on the scale. Maybe it's a 10. Jesus is just saying, walk with me daily trusting. Each day has its own issues. Now, what I love about this teaching of Jesus is not only does he teach this to us, but then he models it for us. Like if you look at the life of Christ, and you look at the heart of God to provide, you see Jesus demonstrate this for us. Like two moments that are examples of that. Um, the Lord's Prayer, most of you are familiar with that. It's found a little bit later in Matthew 6, 9, right? It's, or earlier. He says, Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Does that sound familiar? Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. So your kingdom come, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's seeking first God's kingdom. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Right? That's, that's trusting the Father for the daily provision. So he's modeling that in how he prays and how he's coaching us to pray. The problem is we don't say to God, give us our daily bread. We say, give us our weekly bread. Give us our bi-weekly bread. Give us our monthly bread. Give us our annual bread. And the Lord's like, let's just get the daily bread covered first, you know? And so Jesus models that in how he prays. So does that mean that Jesus never experienced anxiety? Right? He was God, right? So did he never get anxious? Well, let's go to probably what's the most anxious moment we know of with Christ. And that's in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? If you're familiar with that moment, here he is hours before he's going to be arrested, before he's going to be crucified for the sins of mankind, before all the, 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 he's going to endure. He's in the garden. And, and it says that he is feeling the weight of everything to the point that he feels like death is coming, grieved to death. And so Jesus is feeling the pressure of all that's coming. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, sweats like drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's wrestling. He's anxious about what happens. And what he says next, and you can find it in Luke twenty-two forty-two. he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Does that sound like anxiousness to you? Like, remove this cup from me. But then he says, not my will, but yours be done. See, he yields. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so he yields and he demonstrates. And because of that moment, because of God the Son demonstrating for us and, and modeling for us submission to God the Father, what happened in the hours that followed, not only do we look at God providing for our physical needs, but in that moment, He provided for our ultimate need. Our greatest need is spiritual. And so we can rest with the physical provisions that God gives, but He just goes beyond that. He provided for our greatest need, which was a spiritual need, forgiveness of sins, a, a restored relationship back with God. And so God is such an um, abundant provider. He went over and above just our physical needs. He met the biggest need we have right there as Jesus was crucified on the cross for our sins. And by the way, God pointed to this moment centuries and centuries before. Like if you really like zoom out for a second, and you go all the way to Genesis 22, there's this man named Abraham, right? We're talking about God's provision here. There's this man named Abraham, the, the father of the Hebrew nation, that God says, I'm going to take you, I'm going to make you a people of myself, and I'm going to give you um, a nation. You're, you're going to birth a nation of people. Abraham's like, one problem, uh, me and my wife are too old to have kids, so how's that going to happen? And God miraculously provides, and he provides the promised seed, Isaac, through a barren wife. And so uh, now Abraham has the promised child that he's desiring. And then God shows up and says, I want you to sacrifice your son. And I want you to go to a place called Mount Moriah. And I want you to sacrifice your son there to me on Mount Moriah. Can you imagine the ask? Here's the son you've been waiting for, and now God's asking you of him. And the trust of Abraham, he trusted. So he packed up, he took Isaac, he took his, his equipment, he went, and he went to Mount Moriah. And there on Mount Moriah, he was prepared to sacrifice his son to, to just obey God. And right before he was about to follow through, God stops him, and he provided a ram for the sacrifice. And so that ram was a substitute for what would have been Isaac, right there on Mount Moriah. And what Abraham did is he renamed that place. He said, I'm going to call this place Jehovah what? Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides 
It was in that moment that he just proclaimed how God provides. And fast forward, if some of you are going like, okay, what's the deal with Mount Moriah? Let me show you a modern picture of Mount Moriah. This is Mount Moriah. This is where Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And then you fast forward through the years that happened after that, you see David building an altar there to sacrifice to God. You see the Jewish temples built there to sacrifice to God for forgiveness of sins. And it's on Mount Moriah, within range of Mount Moriah, that Jesus Christ died as our substitute for our sins. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Not just for your bread, not just for your water, not just for your clothes, but for your very soul. And here's what's so wacky. We come to Christ and we say, I trust you. I trust you that you forgive me of my sins. I trust you that you've granted me heaven. I trust you with all these big things, but I'm having a hard time trusting you for my daily bread. Like that's just so wacky of us to trust God for something as amazing as the forgiveness of sins, but then struggle with the daily provision. And so Jesus is calling us back. He's calling us back to a place of trust because he knows if our trust in God increases, then our anxiety, what? Decreases. This is why Jesus was teaching us that. So next time you're tempted to gain anxiety over provisions in your life, look, consider, and seek. Look at creation around you and how God provides for things that he cares less for about than you. Consider how God clothes something that's temporary. How much more is he going to clothe the eternal? And then the call to seek first his righteousness, his kingdom. That's what God's called us to do. So what's the a, what's a application for us? I think the best application, honestly, is the power of memorized scripture today. Like, like God's given us his word, not just to listen and then reject, but to memorize, to, to digest and put it in there. And so let's look at Matthew 6.33. I think this is a, a great verse to memorize. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When you're feeling anxiety, when you're you know, starting to let the, the fears creep in, this is a great verse to bring online and quote, sing, pray. And so let's say it together. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Just the ladies. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The gentlemen. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And everybody, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this reminder. Lord, we need it. We need these reminders, Father. And so God, we first and foremost thank you that you are a heavenly Father who provides abundantly. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, our provider. So thank you for providing our, our daily bread, our daily drink, our daily clothing. God, we confess that we have not been content or satisfied with that. Lord, we confess that we wander off and we, we go after abundance and then we think you're not being faithful because we want you to sustain the level of abundance we have in our lives. And Lord, sometimes you're gracious enough to even give that, but Father, call us back to this place of daily surrender, daily trust, daily dependence on you. So Father, we confess that we haven't done that. God, we ask that you would make this verse very real. Lord, help us to seek first your kingdom. It's a forever kingdom. We live in a temporary kingdom, but you've given us a forever kingdom. God, help us to seek your righteousness, Lord. God's sin just wants to come and claw at us and pull us away and our selfishness and our, our flesh. But Lord, help us to seek your righteousness. 
And help us to rest and trust that all those other things will be added to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together.